Hello and welcome again to another episode of our program, Develop. We count it an honor and a privilege to have your company as we continue our exploration in this series that we titled A Holiness Movement. Essentially, this series is about presenting or reorienting our understanding of the brand of Christianity that Jesus came, lived, died, rose again to launch on planet Earth. Uh, it's, it's the holistic approach to living the life that God intended for us to live from the very beginning. It's a restoration of the image of God in us. Just like First Peter instructs us that, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And over the last few episodes, we were uh, presenting various uh, foundations as to how we can be motivated to pursue this life of godliness. We've been looking at the why we should live a Christ-like holy life on earth. And today I want to take another motivation, another biblical foundation that should uh, truly uh, uh, you know, provoke us, encourage us, inspire us to follow uh, Jesus and to live like Him as well as to be set apart for God's purposes to express His character and will uh, through us. And today I want to say the, the foundation, the biblical foundation we'll focus on is the desperate need of the world, the desperate need of the world. The reality is Peter and all the other New Testament writers have expressed a desire that God's people by their lives would attract others because they live like Jesus. You see, it's been well said that Christ, by the way He lived, People liked Him even though they were nothing like Him, but they liked Him. And as we live the teaching of Jesus in practical way, we will influence our world. This is not just something that the New Testament writers came up with. In fact, Jesus in His Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, said that you are salt and light. Let your light so shine before people that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There is reciprocality, there is impact, there is the, the way we live impacts the people around us. And given that it's Jesus' heart that the world will be influenced for Him, then we have a, a role to play by the way we live our life. Friends, it's not sufficient that you make a decision to follow Jesus and live life as if nothing has happened. And every now and again, you encounter a training session where they teach you how to share the gospel, uh, you know, in, in simple ways. You can share the gospel as much as you want. That will not make a difference. Because just sharing without living it out gives no credential. And in this era, in this postmodern era, people are not just interested in what you share to be truthful, but they want to see its practical 
embodiment, its implication, because to them that provides the credential to begin to ask the question as to the reason of your hope. So I want to highlight today through various passages the necessity of living the life of Christ in order that we may influence a really desperate world for Jesus. Let's begin by what Peter said in chapter 2, which we mentioned previously, verses 9 to 12. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Let's stop there for a second. We are the type of people that God intended the Israelites to be. If you recall that God, in order to restore our, you know, our image uh, in Him after the fall that He called Abraham and through Him the nation of Israel, in order that they will become a royal priesthood and a holy nation that represents God to their neighboring pagan societies. However, they disobeyed God repeatedly and didn't represent Him to their neighbors. They lived just like their pagan neighbors instead of being a light to them. But now we, as the true children of Abraham, the children of faith, the ones who have followed Jesus, we have been translated, called out of darkness into His marvelous light. You see, you can't live in darkness. That is living in sin. That is living with hidden motives. That is living with impurity. That is living in deceit and manipulation. You can't live in the realm of darkness which is the realm of the enemy's rulership and pretend that you're under the authority of Jesus and part of his family. It, 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 confessing Jesus as Lord supposed to take you out of that realm of sinfulness and wickedness. You can't live a, a, a double life and pretend that you have been saved. Once, Paul, uh, Peter teaches, you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, what wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And this is what Peter is teaching over and over and over again, that there must be an implication to the way we have come to embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. We need to abstain from what we would have done without Him from the passions of the flesh. 
we not only need to negatively abstain from sin, we need to do good deeds to live honorably amongst the unbelievers so that they will glorify God. That they mean they would recognize God's weighty importance, significance, glory, honor. That is how, that's because they see the way we live our lives. Friends, you cannot impact the world by merely the skills that you gain in a training session, by merely uh, doing activities that other people found useful and other people uh, you know, found fruitful. It's not about, the, the, the anointing is not in the skills. The anointing is not in the resources that you have and that you have uh, that, that you exercise. Uh, the, 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 the anointing is not in in, in your uh, ability and in your sharing or in your in your in your persuasion skills or any such thing. The abilities that God supplies are supernatural and they're given for those people who will live according to the secret that allows the anointing to be evident in God's people. You see, people of uh, different uh, nationalities and different theological uh, denominations and persuasion have all recognized that making a difference for God requires not only your resources or, re or your reputation, but genuinely living for Jesus wholeheartedly. There are books that are now being published about a particular denomination that promoted the seeker-sensitive Christianity and approach and strategies that were very, um, very innovative and realized that, uh, that that's not creating the impact that they had imagined. And that's been well written in a book called or a project called The Reveal Project. And uh, regardless of, of what we attempt to do in marketing uh, 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 um, activities and in a way that we create environments that attract people, there is something sometimes we recognize is missing and that is a life that is wholeheartedly lived for Jesus. Is it any wonder that sometimes people who have been prominent in ministry and prominent in teaching sometimes get exposed and in sex scandals and other ungodly uh, um, activities that, that, that ruin all the work that is being accomplished uh, on the surface. I recall recently there's been a report about an apologist, a prominent apologist, who lived a double life, according, allegedly lived a, couple, a, a, a double life where he would go to masseurs, female masseurs, and, and he would uh, engage in sexual activities, some without their consent or their approval. And one of the reports that were um, constructed by a group of lawyers in that city in the USA described that he interacted with one of those new Christian masseurs and he would engage in sexual activities with her. And the girl was absolutely, you know, gobsmacked. She just didn't know what to make out of that. 
because he's a prominent uh, person who's made significant, supposedly significant impact for Jesus. And he would say to her, you can't tell anyone what we're doing because you're going to ruin my reputation and I have been a reason for thousands of people to be converted. And if you ruin my reputation, you will be the reason why these people are not going to heaven. Even in the midst of his sinful activity, even in the midst of his disgraceful manipulation of a, a, a woman, a young woman in the faith, even in his mistreatment of her womanhood, this person knew that his sinful activity has the capacity to ruin all the work that he uh, been attempting to do for Jesus. We all know intuitively that our lives has an impact over our ministry. And that's exactly what Paul was teaching his uh, uh, disciple Timothy in the second letter of Timothy that was pre uh, uh, written uh, in, in, in a prison. Uh, most commentators tell us that that was probably written around 66, 67 when Paul was in prison under Nero. He was not in the house arrest, in the rented house that was done in Rome. Uh, but this is another imprisonment close to the ends, uh, the end days of Paul's life where he was treated as a criminal chained and, and in a cold dungeon. And he writes to Timothy because many people had left him and, and he writes to Timothy so he can come and bring some, uh, you know, supportive uh, um, attire for Paul uh, in the midst of this cold time and to support him because he was like Paul's son, true son in the faith and co-worker. But Paul also wrote to him in order to help him address some false teachers and some of the false teaching in the church and to help him to preach the word of God and to be a difference even in the midst of people who are opposing the truth at the moment. But the secret that Paul teaches Timothy should really make us aware that our influence in the world is more simpler than our resources and our skills and our manufactured reputation. It's got to do with our character. And Paul uh, teaches Timothy this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. After he said to him, you know, be strengthened by grace, he told him to be like a soldier who's fully committed to the work of God. He wanted him to be like a farmer who's a hard worker in the work of God. And he wanted him to be like an athlete that practice and, and, and races uh, according to the rules, not just according to what he wishes. It's not, uh, uh, you know, whatever you feel like do, you have to abide by the standards that God has placed for his uh, people and he says that in 2nd Timothy 2 he says keep reminding God's people of these things warn them before God against quarreling about words it is of no value and only ruins those who listen do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless 
chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Listen at the introduction of how Paul intends for Timothy to be influential even with those people who oppose the truth. He doesn't tell him, uh, you know, study hard, get yourself going with a bit of motivation, listen to some songs and get fired up. No, it says the first thing is present yourself to God. The number one thing that uh, guarantees God's anointing over people is that they present themselves firstly to Him. There is, there is a clear conscience. There is no shame in the way they're living their lives and in the way they correctly handle the word of truth. There is no manipulation of the word. There is no sharing something and not others. It's not about getting teachers that will tell you what you want to hear. He's saying the truth. But that truth it springs from a life of truth where he says, present yourself unashamed to God, approved. He says, and avoid all the things that are meaningless, such as godless chatter. Why? Because those people that indulge in that become more and more ungodly. And we know that ungodliness has a, ne a negative repercussion on your influence. Then he gives this crazy statement. He says, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm sealed with this inscription the lord knows those who are his he uh, paul is saying to timothy i understand that they've been false teachers who, uh, who, who shared that the resurrection has already happened. They falsified the teaching of uh, Christ and Paul and they have led people with them and they departed from the faith. Can you believe that? They started well, but because of false teaching about the resurrection, they lived a life that departed from the truth. And Paul is saying, don't worry, Timothy, that can happen. But it doesn't mean that that's actually taking away people who are truly gods. Like John says in 1 John 2 that they went out from us because they weren't really from us. They were pretending to be God's people. And Paul says that God's solid foundation stands. Don't worry, this teaching is not going to hamper the work of God. It's not going to shake the, word of, the work of God because it's solid. It stands and in it, God knows those who are His. God knows those people who are truly His, who have made true decision for Jesus, who have truly repented, who have truly embraced the, the Jesus as Savior and Lord, and are truly been regenerated by the Spirit. They are safe. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord, oh my goodness, must turn away from wickedness. There is a double declaration inscribed on the foundation like the buildings in the old ancient times where they would have had an, an inscription upon them. It's two separate but intermingled and both extremely essential for truth that God knows those people who make a decision to follow Him and are authentically His and these people are 
truly made evident by the way they turn away from wickedness. You can't have a contradictory statement. They can't be gods. They can't be confessing the name of Jesus and living in wickedness. They must turn away. See the emphasis in Paul, whom some theologian make him just a, an apostle of justification where we change our position, we have imputed righteousness, but he doesn't care about the way we live. That's nothing further from the truth. And as a result of that, Paul is saying to Timothy, this is how you be a useful worker. It says in a large house, there are articles such as pans and, and dishes and, uh, you know, you name it. And only, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. So Paul is saying, listen, Timothy, in God's house, just like in a rich person's house, there is a lot of different utensils, a lot of different articles, a lot of different containers. Some of those containers are made of silver and, and, and gold. They are esteemed containers. They're like plates where you eat from or present uh, food on. But there are others that are wood and clay. They're earthly. They're not for special purposes. In fact, maybe some commentators say that that may refer to the dunny, you know, where it's, it's something that people used for that type of activity. And Paul is saying there is types of people who are anointing for special purposes, but others aren't. And if you want to know why, I tell you it's not God's fault. It says those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes made holy, useful to the make master and prepared to do any good work. My friends, you need to understand that the usefulness, the preparedness, the anointing of God over our lives is not a matter of favoritism. God doesn't choose some to, for special purposes and others says, no, you're like, you know, like those things for the dunny. No, it's not that. It's we collaborate with God and make ourselves available to be of special use. He says those who cleanse themselves, those who purify themselves. Truly God's word cleanses us and truly God prunes us. But he says here that we have a role. We need to cleanse ourselves. We need to let go of the things that uh, pollute our holy life being set apart for God. If you cleanse yourself, you'll be made holy, useful for the master, prepared to do amazing things. And then he follows it up by explanatory statements, says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. My goodness, I do not understand what Bible some Christians are reading that undermine Paul's emphasis on godly, righteous, holy living. What Bible are they reading? How many times does he speak of cleansing, 
of holiness, of evil desires being avoided, of living in righteousness, of pursuing God with pure heart. What, what else can Paul says, say to highlight the significant importance of living a life that represents the transformation that the Spirit imposed upon our nature? He sincerely focused on living a godly life that would make Timothy useful. Timothy was probably 30 or 40 years of age, which anybody that was less than 40, they would consider them youth. And he's saying to them, flee evil desires, Timothy. Even you, even you, a man that has been appointed, gifted, uh, uh, commissioned, even you have been strengthened by grace. I need you to flee. Make every effort to flee evil lust. Don't listen. Don't, don't stay long enough. Don't Take a second look. Don't say, well, I will make it only once, but after that I'll repent. And God, God is so good. He's going to forgive me and wash me by the blood of Jesus. Come on. He's saying, flee the evil desire of youth. What other language can he put it in? And what he says is that on the opposite side, pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness, godly living. It's not just theoretical or positional because positional, that means God uh, uh, inducted you in righteousness. is imputed righteousness. You don't do anything about it. This is pursuing practical righteousness. Just like the writer of Hebrew says, pursue peace and righteousness or holiness with that which no one sees God. That's, that's practical holiness. And then I love the way Paul says, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. The way we flee evil desires and, and youthful lust is by going the opposite way, pursuing God's uh, uh, agenda, righteousness, faith, and love, and peace. But how do you do that? Evidently, if you do it by yourself, you will fail. The enemy will absolutely bring you uh, under a lot of trials and temptations that you will eventually won't be able to handle it. But he says, along with those who call on the Lord. Like be attached to those people who call on the Lord. Not anyone who calls on the Lord because some people call on the Lord with their lips, but their heart is not attached to God. He says, no, no, no. Those people who have a sincere heart, a pure heart, a holy heart who are living for me wholeheartedly. This is how you be useful, Timothy. This is how you can impact others, Timothy, saying opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Paul is saying to Timothy, I've got an incredible role for you. You're going to help people to escape from the trap of the devil. Wow, that's a big deal. I want to tell you that you can do that. And you can do that with even opponents whom God will grant them repentance if you do the right thing. If you gently instruct them, but you gently instruct them after you have uh, adopted a, a holy attitude, a godly attitude, and you're looked after your motivation and you cleansed yourself by the power of the Spirit from living 
for evils. But I want to I wanna commend you, Timothy, that God wants to do something miraculous, that he wants to use you to overwhelm the, the desires of the enemy because Christ came to destroy the work of the enemy and he's going to work through your body in order to destroy the work of the enemy. This is the profound foundation that I hope you embrace that would motivate you to live a holy, godly life. Just like Timothy and other believers throughout all history, people maybe you already know in your life who are influential for God and believers pursue holiness in order to eternally impact a desperate world that needs Jesus. That's why they pursue holiness because they realize there is no other way to impact the world unless we live in this cleansing state enabled by the Spirit to flee wicked ways and evil lusts and evil desires and to pursue righteousness with God's people. Friends, our opportunities, anointing and impact are often in proportion to our holy living. God provides opportunities and anointing and impact in proportion to cleansing ourselves from that. We can't live double lives and expect to be used for the master. We can only serve God as we allow His Spirit to convict us, purge us, and set us free to live a selfless life. I hope over the last few episodes, you have been provoked, you've been encouraged, you've been inspired to say, I want to live a godly life. I want to live a life that is Christ-like. I want to live a holy life that is biblical foundation throughout Genesis to Revelation to tell me that I need to live like Christ on the earth. It, has, it makes all the difference from creation to impact of the world. May God inspire you and encourage you and challenge you to reconsider your approach to the brand of Christianity that Jesus lived, died, and rose again to launch on planet Earth. That's my prayer for you. Look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, be utterly blessed in Jesus. God bless you.